I'm joined by Brian Spears, co-founder and CEO of New Age Meets. Thank you so much for joining me, Brian. Hi, it's a pleasure to be here. The way I like to start these conversations is really by taking a step back, um, just to sort of lay the foundation um, and asking the, pro- the question of what problem do you and the team at New Age Meets solve? Yeah, it's a really good question. The, the biggest question is, why do we eat meat and what does it provide to us? Mm-hmm. And you can kind of address that in a couple ways. So meat, we have as, as evolved organisms, we've evolved over time. I mean, if you go back billions of years ago, uh, when, first, when life first started, uh, there are quickly evolved, we'll say organisms that took their nutrients from the environment and then some organisms that decided it was faster to just kill the other organisms and eat those. Uh, and so you kind of get this, we'll say carnivore versus we'll say wherever else they get their nutrients. And this is a long time ago, but of course, over the billions of years, that's evolved. And so as organisms, we always, we've always been eating each other. Or at least some of us have always been eating the, other, the others. And we as humans have evolved to have some of that DNA. And of course, of course omnivorous, so we can eat the plant-based side and we can also eat the carnivorous side, the, the, the meat side. And inborn in us is that innate, for some of us, desire to eat meat. And so it's worth asking what that question is. So, or it's worth asking what that desire is. Hmm. So what, what happens when we smell meat, when we taste meat, when we see meat, uh, what, when we're eating it, when we're chewing it, when we swallow it, like what is that sensory experience of eating meat? And culturally, meat fits a place in our families, in our nation, in our recipes, on our state, uh, on, our, on our plate, excuse me. And so it's worth understanding if we're going to go and recreate meat, which is what we're doing, how will it fit on the plate? How will it fit surrounded by typically veggies or carbs or something like that? How will it cook on the grill? How will it cook in a stew? Uh, and, and what types of culinary traditions are we trying to observe and respect? And so if, if we step back as, as a company trying to recreate meat, we can ask these fundamental questions. What is the, the human need or like the sensory experience? And then what is the cultural need? And, and we, can, we find that we can use, instead of using this very old technology, this very old technology of creating meat inside of an animal and then eating the animal, we can go and make meat in an entirely different way. And that's, that's really the problem trying to solve. It's incredible. I think it's it's so interesting to to think about the sensory and cultural elements of meat when you're essentially recreating it because you're absolutely right. You need to think about those two points, otherwise your product doesn't actually really fit. Um, because you're you're what you're doing at New Age Meats is you're not creating an alternative. It's not a plant based version. It's it is meat. Exactly. Yep. So it needs to actually match. And I mean, on your, on your website, you're, you're talking about starting with the taste and mm-hmm. making it better. Right. So, I mean, what, what does that actually mean? Right. So it, it goes back to what we're talking about with that sensory experience. So taste is not just uh, the taste, like your taste buds, your sweet and savory umami, uh, or really sweet and salty and bitter and umami, uh, these tastes in your taste buds, but then also it's the aroma, right? So it's when you inhale, when you breathe out, you're getting all of these volatile organic compounds, uh, these, all of these types of tastes that come from not just the meat itself, but what happens when the meat is cooked and prepared. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so what, we're, what we've done, what we're doing, 
or say what we're doing and have done and will continue to do is really explore the sensory aspect of eating meat. And that involves literally eating it and at the same time taking a very scientific approach to understanding what happens when you uh, chew and eat food, but then also cook it. And so you can then go find certain biomarkers. You can find certain markers inside of the, the product, inside of meat, that then correspond to our sensory perception. And when you can, when you can make that pairing, then you could go, in our case, upstream to the cells themselves and say like, aha, this is really important to the taste. Up here in the cells, this is where it comes from. Mm-hmm. So then how can we improve that? Really, can we turn the dial up on uh, the, the consumer experience such that they taste that even more, like it's even better. And then we can also ask really just much more interesting questions because we can ask, well, well, right now, the conventional meat that we eat uh, has kind of the, this subset of flavors because there's only so much that you can engineer an animal to give you more flavors, different flavors. But we are entirely unfettered by the animal. So we can go into this broader space of flavor and we can start mixing and matching in ways that are just entirely unknown, frankly, uh, and just really exciting. So you'll, you'll be able to taste something that is reminiscent of in the future, you'll be able to taste something that's reminiscent of the meat that we're eating now, but then an entirely do, new and interesting enhanced flavor. Wow. So yeah, that's, that's, that's incredible. And so, I mean, what are the implications environmentally of basically removing the animal from the process? Well, they're huge. Uh, and it's no secret that the way we make meat is now is entirely unsustainable. And you can, we can, again, go look back at our, our past as humans, as homo sapiens, that we have traditionally started to raise the, the livestock that we, um, that, that we're able to raise because they were amenable to being corralled and they didn't kill us and they didn't jump over the fence and they're like, and, and they're good enough and, and we could, we could good enough satiation, satiation wise and taste wise. We're like, okay, we're going to standardize on these. Not because we had a panel uh, of meats and we decided which one was the tastiest and the healthiest, the safest, the most sustainable. Meat technology hasn't changed for thousands of years. And we're right now at this new era, this new age, where we can really start to, to change how that tastes to us. I'm going back to the taste a little bit, but I'll, go, I'll, I'll answer your question specifically around sustainability, which is these old animals that we've been using, we essentially said that, hey, as we grow in population, as we ramp up like this, we can just keep, take the animals with us. We can keep making animals, the animals that we, we've been eating, and we can, we can make as many as we need to in order to eat as, mu- as much as we have previously. But not only that, we can actually eat more because we can make a system that intensifies the animal agriculture so much that we can drop that cost down. The problem is, is there's a whole bunch of, in economics, we call negative externalities. There are tremendous negative externalities to the planet, to our public health, and of course, the animal welfare. And sustainability-wise, we see that, that we can fix some major problems around the planet. And so if we go into the planet, then it's the greenhouse gas emissions, it's the water use, it's the land use, and it's the energy, where the energy comes from. And I'll say greenhouse gas emissions would be the direct greenhouse gas emissions as compared to the greenhouse gas emissions born from energy. So like burning coal, for instance, is, is an indirect greenhouse gas emission, but a direct would be something like a methane production, like cows burping would mm-hmm. be methane. Um, so in all those cases, all those four, we are dramatically more sustainable 
than the existing ecosystem, which makes a lot of sense because we don't have animals that are, for instance, burping up methane. And we don't, ha- we don't need to have giant acres of, for, for animals to graze and to spread out. Uh, and we don't need to use nearly as much water because we're not actually keeping these animals alive for months or years. What we're doing is we're growing just the cells that you need to eat, that you want to eat. And so that cycle of taking the cells, growing them, and then eating them is much shorter. And it's much more efficient. Right, yeah. You're basically growing the meat without the animal. Correct. And what, what are you actually creating with those, currently at least, with those cells that you're growing? What are we creating? So what's the, what's the end product? What's the end product, so, yeah. Sure, sure, yeah. So most of our IP is in pork. So we've, we've worked with other animals as well, but we, we find that we can move much more quickly with pork. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because pork is a mo- pig is a model organism uh, for, for humans. So there's a lot of research published on, on pig. And so we, are, we have really kind of two broad products. They would be, if for a Western market, uh, we're focusing first on sausages, like pork sausages. And for Asian markets, more dumplings, like pork dumplings. And that's it. That's, that's awesome. And why sausages specifically? I mean, I, when I first saw it, I thought, what an interesting choice out of, well, so you mentioned two. Um, I'm just curious to know why specifically sausages and not, for example, like a pork cutlet or something less ground up. Mm-hmm. Well, so the, when you have a cutlet, uh, pork chop or something like that, then there is the element of eating uh, the animal's anatomy. So there's a tissue engineering experience. So when you bite into a cutlet, for instance, you have that, that bite because your, your teeth are slicing through tissues, through, t- through tissue. And that tissue is uh, it's muscle fiber, and it's the fibers of muscle that are encased in, in these myelin sheaths, and then they're bundled together into larger sheaths, and then interstitially you have fat, and then you also have connective tissue in there and blood. And so all of that means that you have this experience of eating the, the tissue of the animal. Hmm. And we can do that, uh, but to get there, we need to go through the first step, which is just to create the cells themselves. So to create the muscle, the fat, the connective tissue, we can go create them individually. And what we can do before we get to this structured tissue product would be to just go and mix them, just go take them and essentially they're the ground products. And there are a bunch of, the, there are a bunch of products that are, uh, that are made, well, uh, the majority of the, the meat products that are consumed are actually in the, the minced form, the ground form. Okay. And so since there's such a massive market for that, like why, why wait to get here when there's, there are people clamoring for the product here? So we, we, we take that approach to like, but we're working on this uh, tissue engineering approach as well. Uh, but there's, there's just such a huge market now that it doesn't make sense to wait. Actually, yeah. I mean, there, there's an argument to just to not even, uh, from a business standpoint, to not even go into the non-ground meat market. If the, big, if the vast majority or the biggest percentage is, is ground meat, then we may as well just stay there and, and get really good at that. And kind of, you know, before moving on elsewhere. Sure. There, there's a, so we, we intend on being the biggest meat company in the world. We're pretty, pretty open about that. Uh, and that means that we're going to be making ground products. We're going to be making whole tissue products. Uh, so I don't, I don't say that we're going to just focus on this. Of course, like that, that's a massive market. Uh, the, there's going to be a lot of just like market dynamic questions. So the, where the price premiums come from. So no, no question that for instance, a, a well-tissued steak, marble, so say, sorry, a mar- well-marbled steak commands much more of a price premium than a hamburger does. And so when you're using expensive technology, then a lot of companies will think like, well, go for the high end. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But again, to get that high end, you actually have to create the tissue engineering experience, uh, which is much more difficult. So in our case, we decide, no, it, it makes much more sense for us to use our cultivated products, the, 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 the muscle fat, et cetera, as ingredients to this, this sausage. And so we, we, make, we, we uh, make no secret that our first products are blended. So a blended product where the cultivated meat is a functional ingredient to the plant and the fungal ingredients that come with it. So we're going to make a sausage, for instance, that's going to, uh, when you eat it, it's going to taste like that sausage. It's going to pop in your mouth. It's going to coat the inside of your mouth. It's going to have this bounce and chew that you expect from meat. But then it's also going, it's going to have plant and fungal ingredients as well uh, in order to, one, drop the cost, but also increase the, the textural experience. Mm-hmm. So is that is that because you're you're aiming to go for the experience of a fully like a full meat sausage or I mean some sausages like even with normal meat you put other ingredients in them for flavor so it's more of the latter in the sense that you're doing it for the flavor rather than because you're trying to fake your way to a full meat sorry we're doing we're doing it for the flavors and, and doing yeah meaning you're like you're, you're going for the flavor so you're you're adding additional ingredients for for because it gives other flavors to to the sure if you're, if you're going to a bratwurst for instance then you're going to add certain spices to it you're going to add some yeah. mace to it you're going to add, right so it's it people expect that because if not it's like well this isn't bratwurst so yeah, yeah you exactly. definitely add spices and other types of ingredients to it yeah, yeah. so there's spice yeah if, if if i'm getting your question exactly yeah yeah meaning like that's that's a standard way to right. make sausage anyway and so how i mean how exactly do you make it because i know one one thing um and I know there's a lot of, it's quite complicated and, and uh, there's certainly a lot of IP around it. So we don't need to go into too many details. But one thing I saw is that with new age meats, you're actually doing something with both the fat and the muscle cells, which mm-hmm. I understand is not always the way it's done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So there, uh, we'll say early on, there are, well, they're very, they're very different technologies, well, very different technologies. They're, they're different. So fat and muscle cells are different, right? And so when you look at the process of creating this, uh, the meat, it's, it starts with um, some precursor cells. So they can be stem cells uh, or fibroblasts or, or some sort of precursor to the, the end cells that you want. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to typically differentiate that precursor cell into muscle or fat. Uh, and each of those muscle, each of those muscle and fat, and the, there's connective tissue as well, they require their own set of um, their their own unique ingredient, and then they're also their their own unique environment. So the what you feed muscle cells and the environment that it's in is different than what you feed fat cells and environments that it's in. So if you're if you're creating a, a cultivated meat company like this, and you have a certain amount of investor money that's coming in in order to fund you making a first product, the question is, what am I focusing on? Mm-hmm. Am I focusing on just fat or just muscle or both? And what's the value? And so some companies have decided to work on just one or the other, muscle or fat. Uh, we've decided that it makes sense to, to focus on both because we're really trying to recapitulate that sensory experience again of eating meat. And so uh, it's important for us to work on both, yeah. Wow, interesting. So, I mean, is it possible at some point in time, because uh, you, you said someone that some would work just on fat. So, I mean, can someone just become like a lard manufacturer? Uh, well, I, I imagine they can. Sure. So there's the companies that are working on just in fat. Uh, I believe I'm not going to do not quote me. I'm not their PR spokesman. Uh, so they are, they would be more of a B2B company. 
So they would be supplying their fat to some sort as an ingredient to some other company, to some other company's end product. I see. Uh, okay. So yeah, m- much like there's the ingredients all over places, ingredient suppliers to make, uh, you know, if you're going to make a cookie, then you have ingredient suppliers for sugar and for flour, et cetera. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this, um, this whole element of actually taking these cells, growing it, that's what, what you call cultivated meat. Yes. Um, so that, and we were talking about this before we, we were recording, and there, there's a few terms now that I've I've heard, and uh, some of the people who've listened to the podcast have probably heard now cell based as well as clean meat. Mm-hmm. Um, so, is there uh, going back to this question that we were talking about before? Is there? Um, I mean, what is the term? Is is there one term that unifies them all, or is is it still kind of up for debate? Uh, it's, it's definitely a debate, and and it's definitely worth noting that the the name has changed over time. So it mm-hmm. was. A while ago, in vitro meat. Uh, the first yeah. people working on this were saying in vitro meat, which, uh, right, is, is no, even worse <laughs> than yeah the lab grown. The, so they went to cultured meat, which thought was pretty good, but then it has some some elements of um, when you cult. What, they chose cultured meat because of cells, like you're culturing cells, so it's scientifically accurate. Uh, but then culturing in the food space means something totally different, right? So you're culturing bacteria, for instance, to go yeah. and, to go make a yogurt. Uh, and then there's, if you're making fish, then there's an element of when you say culture, it typically means aquaculture. So then that's a specific way of intense, of intense animal, um, agriculture. Mm-hmm. And so it, it became, it, it was a somewhat confusing term. And so, um, clean meat came about, uh, more as a nod to clean energy, right? So there's a way that energy is being made from like coal and, and oil and such. Uh, and then there's a way that's, that's being made from solar and from, from wind, etc. So those because they're more clean, and so it was kind of a nod to that. Um, moving forward, it, it determined we, the industry kind of determined that it was not as successful because it it hindered our ability to work with regulators and the existing meat companies. And frankly, you could say like, well, who cares about the existing meat companies? Well, well, we do, and they do. Uh, existing meat companies are actually really interested in what we're doing because the the, the ones that really get it, the smart companies consider themselves to be protein companies. They're not slaughtered animal companies. They are protein companies. And so if they can go get the protein that consumers want in a different way, then they're all about it. They're like, sure, let's do that. Um, and so it was, it was easier for us to work with them when we had a term that was, that was um, kind of more neutral, we'll say. And same thing with, with regulators, because regulators, especially uh, some of the regulators have been a long time working with this in- existing industry. And we just found we could move faster if we got rid of that term. And so... Uh, there are a couple other terms that have come about. So cell-based was one that uh, I want to say 20, is that right? 2018, now I want to say, uh, came about. I think that's right. And I think maybe August of 2018. And um, since then, another term cultivated uh, about, about the same time last year, uh, maybe the summer of last year uh, came about. And cultivated, we really like because it's it's a very data-driven um, name. So the Good Food Institute, GFI, and Matson together did a survey of uh, a bunch of consumers and asked them not just what do you prefer, but also what's differentiating and what's actually accurate. Like what what is what means something to when when you read it, it's like okay, I get what that means, and it's also differentiating from other cat from other labels, and then it's also appealing and cultivated one hands down. And so the data is there. We're a data driven company, so we use cultivated. Cultivated is nice, actually, now that I think about it. I mean, cultured, going back to that, cultured, you're right, to me, it just makes me think of mold or mm-hmm. petri dishes. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and, and now that you mentioned yogurt, I agree with that. Um, 
clean meat is a little bit confusing. I'm not really sure what that actually means. Um, like did it fall on the floor and then someone washed it or right, right, what happened? Yeah. Um, and cultivated cell, cell based, I guess. Um, okay. Fair enough. I, I don't know, somehow neutral, uh, in my mind and then cultivated. What I like about it is it sounds closer to something being farmed. Mm-hmm. because yes. I mean, it's farming is, you know, you, you cultivate your crops and at least in my mind, that's, that's the picture that, that comes up. So there's this very, even though it's completely not pastoral, there is this element of, you know, like farm and uh, something rural about the word cultivate. Um, so cultivated meat still brings up these nice image, the nice images in my mind. Going back to the to the actual product to the sausage, I noticed, and I thought this was a very interesting choice um, that the because a sausage is basically, I mean, we we're talking about it's ground meat, and you have to hold it all together, right? And so you're using a vegan sausage casing, right? So what, what's the? Can, can you tell me a little bit about the the casing? Sure. Yeah. So well, what you're, what you're referring to probably the the tasting that we did in September of 2018, mm-hmm. and yeah, in that case, we certainly did. Um, so the, and it goes back to kind of what the, the mission of the company is, is mm-hmm. essentially it, we see the process of intensive, intensive animal agriculture as being wildly unsustainable. And so it didn't make sense for us to go and use a product of animal agriculture in our products. And so we used a sausage that didn't, that wasn't the, a big intestine, for instance, which is what you would traditionally use. Uh, so yeah, in the future, we, there are any number of much more uh, we, we just chose one at that time uh, that we used, that we uh, worked with, with our chef. Um, so since then we've, we've looked at many op- other options as well. So we don't make them in house. That's not really our technology. We make the meat, which is more valuable, frankly. So we, yeah, but we, we don't see the need to go and use actual pig in, uh, intestine because again, it's um, opposed to the mission of the company. Kind of defeats the purpose of the whole thing right. to a certain degree. And um, so and who's Jesse? Yeah. So Jesse is the, is the first, the pig that we took the first biopsy from. So in July of 2018, we went to a farm in Marin, which is just North of San Francisco across the Golden Gate Bridge, a lovely little rural farm. And Jesse was the pig that we biopsied. So we took a a very small sample of muscle and fat and went back and, and took those cells and took the stem cells out of those. And And so, and she did it. I mean, from a, from an animal welfare point of view, how what was the without going into too much detail i mean sure. nothing happened to her other than the little well, so we have a vet uh yeah so essentially there's um there's a veterinarian that you would have there an animal veterinarian and so you would give anesthetic to the animal so you don't want uh, to jesse so we don't want didn't want her feeling that pain um and yeah it was, it was a pretty it's like you would you imagine taking a biopsy for like a skin biopsy or and if you go to the doctor, sometimes they'll go and give you local anesthetic and they'll go take a biopsy out of it, uh, out, out of your skin or out of your muscle or whatever, based on what what they're trying to determine. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same type of thing. And how did you pick Jesse specifically? Uh, it was through the farm. So we, we talked to the farm and the, one of the worker or one of the owners of the farm is actually also a vet. And so she was there as well. And so essentially just like you choose which animal we, we know like the type of, of um, pig that we wanted. And so she was able to choose Jesse. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's incredible. And so are you still using those same cells now? Well, we since moved on and gotten cells from a variety of, of sources. So that, that kind of kickstarted the whole procedure. Um, but there's, there's a lot that we've learned. So in, in the beginning it was just like, here's a farm, here's a pig, let's I go. Uh, 
so since then, we've done a lot more research onto like what the right type of source is. Uh, so we certainly have Jesse's cells still, but they're not primary in our research anymore. Got it. And I, and I mean, in theory, could you just use one biopsy basically forever? Well, so I think what you're asking would be like immortalization. And so the, the idea that cells, that we would not need to go back to right. primary cell culture. So primary cell culture would be, or a primary biopsy would be from the animal. Yep. So you go back to the animal, take the, take the meat, the biopsy meat, right? Muscle fat, take that from the animal and then derive the stem cells from it or separate the stem cells, uh, characterize them and grow them. So that actually ends up being really difficult from a, from an engineering perspective. Hmm. If you think about it, each time you go and take a biopsy from an animal, they're going to, the animals gonna be slightly different and they're not all the same. I mean, we all have their own like genetic proclivities, which are different. And so we then need to go and like take that, separate it out, separate out the, the cells of interest, uh, we need to clean the thing and then we need to characterize and make sure it's actually the thing we want and then go and grow it out. So it, it ends up being just like a system that you don't want to mess with. There's too much uh, randomness in, into that system. So what makes a lot more sense is to go and standardize on uh, w- one or a few different cell lines, say a few different cell lines. And so you essentially you take initially a biopsy from an animal, that primary biopsy, but then you work to immortalize the cell so that it, you, it doesn't senesce. It doesn't, it doesn't stop dividing proliferating. And so we've, we've done that. So we have our own immortalized cell lines uh, on pig. And uh, that means that we essentially, you, you use them, you freeze them down, and then you can, when it's time to go make more, you can thaw them out and they, you feed them cell culture media, which is a nutrient-rich broth. And then they just keep growing again. So it's almost so like a... Go back to the animal. Yeah, that's incredible. So it's kind of like a sourdough starter. Yeah, it's like, it's, it's like it. It's like a sourdough starter, but it's also very different. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> but yeah, from the point of view of it just growing and that you have your kind of original, I guess, yeah, little starter culture there. Right. Um, and I noticed you, you've, you mentioned this this tasting uh, where you talked about Jesse and all that back in 2018. And you made a big point about, about it being at a brewery. Mm-hmm. What, what, what's the importance of the brewery? Sure. Yeah. So we, we intentionally scouted, I did, it was, it was, a, it was a hardship assignment yeah, to go sure. and scout out uh, breweries that had the big metal vats in the back, right? Like intentionally I wanted something that the background was these, these giant steel containers with rivets and bolts and piping and gauges and steam coming out uh, because I want people to see that what they're consuming is this product of food engineering, of science, of science and engineering. Uh, and that we love it. We're like totally cool with that. And I wanted to show that when we're making this product, it's not something to be afraid of because we already do this. We already eat the products of, of engineering, of science and engineering, and we're happy with it. And at scale, like our, our facility is going to look largely like this. It's going to be like a, like a big beer brewery. Mm. And so I want to showcase that. That's really cool. I mean, yeah, I think that's, I've been telling some friends about this technology just because it's so fascinating. And the first question, which I'm sure you hear all the time is, isn't that not natural? Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you, how do you approach that? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of ways to approach that. Um, the, the first way that perhaps obvious is, is the meat that we eat now natural? That's fair enough. And there, I don't, I don't mean to, I don't really need to go into that much detail and then you really just ask the question and people start thinking like, Oh yeah. Yeah. And no, that's not, uh, I mean, you, if you go, go to a, you know, we make pig, so go to um, in, go to a factory farm, a pig factory farm, if you yes. can. Probably can't. 
Um, but if you can, you would see long long sheds. Uh, you would see a Pepto-Bismol pink lagoon to the side, which is the manure. Um, it's, it's frankly dangerous to be near it. Um, you would, if you could go inside, you would see pigs that are kept very close together in, in cages, uh, and they are being fed antibiotics and growth hormones, and they typically don't see the light of day, and then uh, they go to a facility where they're slaughtered. So I ask, what of that is natural? And that typically ends the conversation. Depends on who I'm talking to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think that's fair. Um, it, and it's very true. I mean, I think without going too, too much into detail about the way that current, currently meat is usually produced, it's mm -hmm. the way you're doing it is certainly remote. The animal welfare question is completely out of, I mean, it's just not a question anymore. Well, sure. And, and, and some people care about that to varying degrees. Mm -hmm. uh, but you can also just say the, the human health aspect, the, we are in the midst of a pandemic, which is a zoonotic disease, yep. which means it comes from other animals. In this case, it probably came from bat. That seems to be most likely, uh, but that's born from our relationship with meat. We, we ate the bat. It was from a, it was most likely again from a, a wet market where people were eating the, 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 the bats. But this is by no means, it's not to say like, well, just let's stop eating wild animals. We should, but, but H1N1, bird flu, and also swine flu, uh, these, are, these are diseases that came from factory farms, from intensive animal agriculture, and they jumped species. And if you think about it, we, if, if, we were, if I were a supervillain trying to create a superbug, I couldn't do better than the existing industrial animal agriculture system because you have all of the same type of animal, all one species crowded together in very tight and unsanitary conditions. They're all fed a very similar diet, which is not their natural diet when they're continually stressed. And then add to all of that, that you have humans in immediate close contact with them, not just petting them, but, but you kill them and you cut them open and you go inside of their cavities and you, and all the fluids are in contact with the humans. It's, it's designed almost to create these types of zoonotic diseases. And this is just COVID-19 is just the current iteration that we've, we've had iterations of pandemics and we will have more because of the way we produce meat. So again, going back to our method, we don't have any of that. We, if, if you go and look at our, our pilot facility right now, our pilot facility is designed with one person to, to run the whole thing. Wow. Because it's automated. So that's my background. I'm an, on, an engineer, so automation engineer, research industrial automation. And we will not have workers standing shoulder to shoulder, cutting open uh, animals and being exposed to their fluids and also being exposed, frankly, to each other, mm. right? So you, you, in the United States, um, the current administration has ordered, has used their uh, executive power to order meat processors to go back to work despite the danger to workers. And that's, um, I think it's problematic <laughs> because that means a lot of those workers are going to sicken and die because they, they already have, and they're, they're going to continue to. And we ask, and essentially, if we go look at not just, I, I went, I, I spoke earlier about our, about the meat that we're trying to create. It's not just creating that same type of meat or that same experience of eating meat or replicating that experience of eating meat, but it's also, recreating the process that we use to get there. There's no need for us to have this system whereby workers are 
are shoulder to shoulder, cutting open animals and being exposed to their to fluids. We can go make a system that is just much more efficient, much safer, so much safer that you that you would feel fine serving this to your kids and not worry that they will be sick. Because right now, you we, we actually treat meat, uh, we bring it into our home, as sometimes like a toxic substance. So if you cut it on a cutting board, do you immediately go and cut vegetables on it? No. You, you, you're going to cut a, a piece of fruit with the same knife and hand it to your kid? No, because you know it's dangerous. Yeah. So we can go make meat that is just much safer for your family, for your kids, and for society as well. I think that's such an interesting point about that, that last point. It's going back to the question of, is our current you know, meat production process natural. And the fact that, like you said, I would, you would absolutely never consider cutting something with the same knife, uh, cutting meat and then using the same knife for, I mean, it's, I think that's pretty much case in point in terms of thinking about, is it natural? I, I don't think so. I mean, um, yeah, I, out of curiosity, I'm, re- I'm just so curious. Are you vegan? That's a great question. Uh, I'd like to talk about this. <laughs> the, so when I, I want to say three years ago now, when I decided that uh, I was going to co-found a company in this space, I stopped eating meat. Uh, just I said like, let's. I think there are always narratives in my head that like it's too difficult to do, or it's bad for you, or um, any number of things, right? So I was just like, well, let's just try it. Come on, let's let's, let's see what happens. Uh, and I just I kept it up. I kept it up and uh, visual, uh, and then started the company, and then became vegan, and uh, was frankly fine. It was not that hard and uh, felt great. And as we begin, as we, we'll say early last year, as we continued to work on our products and make more and more products, it became increasingly obvious that I was a, I'd be a, not a very effective meat company CEO if I didn't eat some meat. Uh, because one, I'm eating what we're making, but then I'm also comparing that to, to like the traditional meat. And I have to be able to tell that story. And, and I've, I've told the story a little bit in, in this as well. It's just like, what, what is the sensory experience of eating meat? And what is also when, when we're trying to go make sausage and we're talking about sausage and of various cultures, for instance, and, and the spices, but also like the, the experience, like actually narrating when you bite into a sausage, it kind of pops in your mouth. The, the fat kind of coats the inside of your mouth when you bounce on it, when you, when you, sorry, when you chew on it, there's a kind of a bounce to it. So if I don't eat meat, then I'm, then I'm like, um, narrating that but it's not it's not in my experience it comes somebody else told me that um and I, it's an interesting ethical quandary because i can say like well i don't eat meat but then somebody else in the space in my company can go and eat the meat um but essentially if i if i think it's right or wrong if i if i've made a moral carve out for them to go and eat the meat why doesn't that apply to me like why why do i feel that they're okay to eat it but i'm not okay to eat it and so i for me that what makes sense is that it, People in our company are eating meat because we are making the meat uh, and we have to make a really good product. And if, if, we, if people in the company don't know what the meat tastes like, then we're not going to make a good product. And that includes me. So I don't eat a lot of it. Uh, I probably, it's on average, like once a month. Um, mm-hmm. eat it typically happens when I, when I travel. Um, so I'll do a lot of um, conferences and uh, that type of thing. So, and, you know, I'll go take it out to dinner or something. And, and then it just ends up being easier. I was like, well, I, I, you know, I eat meat a little bit and this is the time I'm going to eat meat. That's a good answer. I like that. I mean, I think, I think you're absolutely right. There is, um, first of all, you're, I mean, how can you make a product? Yeah. Without actually knowing what you're replacing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, that ethical and moral question about if you're allowing others to eat it because right. you, you won't eat it. 
it's mm-hmm. an interesting point. I never actually considered that before. Um, and I, th- I think you're absolutely right. It's like, yeah, if, if someone else, if you're okay with someone else doing it, then surely it's okay if you're doing it, especially if they're going to eat meat instead of you eating meat, like on your behalf. Right. I mean, if I wasn't involved in, you know, a cultivated meat company, if I was making Legos or something, then like, I, I don't know that I'd have that moral carve out. Right. Right. Like, exactly. Yeah. So, but specifically, since this is what we do, and it's also intended to transition the entire system away from this unsustainable method to a more sustainable method and a better future for everybody and avert uh, the tsunami of climate change that is coming for us. And I think it's the smartest path to do. Yeah. Uh, smart, 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 smartest path. Uh, I would say I'm a, a lot more utilitarian. And so it, it just, in, in my mind, makes sense. Cool. Um, as we're slow, starting to come to an end here, how um, I'm, I'm really curious to know just about like a general vision of what you see for cultivated meat or the food industry in general. I mean, you know, you've mentioned already that that you're you want to be the biggest meat company in the world. Um, so that's really cool. I, I'm I suppose I'm I'm more thinking about you know like we're fast forward like 20, 50 years. What does food look like in your mind? Such a good question. Uh, and I, I love to talk about this with people that work on meat now um, and the people love, that love meat. There's a question that we get really often, which is, okay, uh, I love Wagyu beef, for instance, or I love a good T-bone or a sirloin. And, and the question is like, okay, so I love that you've got the, the bone in there and then the fat around the bone. And like, can you make all that again? Because that, that's the only way I'm going to eat your product. And the answer is, yes, we can make all that. We, we can we can do all that again, and it's kind of what I said earlier. Like there's there's a pathway of increasing difficulty, frankly, to go and get those like fully tissue engineered products, uh, which is, there's associated cost to it as well. And but then it's worth just stepping back and asking the question, like, okay, why why do we go and make that? And I like to often liken it to like the horse and buggy versus the car. Mm-hmm. So there's a transition period, pretty quick transition period from everybody. If you I mean, historically from everybody being horse and buggies, and then like a couple decades later, like it just almost vanishing. And you can imagine the people in the beginning were like, wow, there's this new technology, the automobile. And like, it's, it's like, well, can I, can I get like a better, like better reins for the horse? Like, I mean, are you replicating the horse such that I can go from like 30 miles an hour to maybe like 35 or 40 miles an hour? And can you make the, the stage coach? Can you make it such that I can see more, I got more windows. And, and essentially these are iterations on the old technology. I'm like, well, we're not iterating on the old technology. That's done. We have like this new technology, which does way better things. Like you, you're asking us to go make meat that that hasn't changed for 3000 years. Um, but we could go make something entirely better. And so I'm, I'm, I'm always, um, open to people saying like, this is what you want. And, or this is what we want. Consumers want this, make this. Um, and I think as the technology unfolds and we going back to the taste as well, looking at the, the small subset of flavors that we have now and looking at this, that much greater set of flavors, not just flavors, but also like sensory experiences, which would be the, the sight, the, the sound of it, the, the, um, the feel in your mouth. Uh, so that these are all things that we, that the technology enables us to do that the old technology does not. And so the future of, of meat is wide open. It's, it's tremendously exciting and it doesn't, and frankly, it doesn't involve animals. It doesn't need to, there's, yeah. there's no need for animals to be involved in the system in the future. Uh, I mean, right now we're, we're taking the biopsies from animal or freezing down the cells and such in the future. We won't even need to do that. Wow. That's incredible. I mean, it's hard to know really what, uh, 
what it's going to be because basically yeah. we're all you're all you're inventing it as you go. Yeah, More and I'm, I'm I'm so thrilled like to be working in the, these the new food technology industry, uh, this alternative proteins or whatever you want to call it. People are going to call it all different things, and the, I get asked all the time, "Well, who's going to win? Is it going to be the plant based? Is it going to be the cultivated? Is it going to be this air protein? Is it going to be like this new fungal? Is it going to like?" nobody wins here. So we're, we're making the product that is taking all of these as supplies in order to go make an increasingly better product. And so there, you know, the fungal you know, fungus, for instance, provides a lot of like texture. It provides this umami flavor. It provides protein. And, and we can use that as an ingredient to our product. It's, it's not like we need to be like, no, we're cultivated in their fungal. We're not going to, no, it's, we use their product. We use the plant-based products. We use the cultivated products. We can, and we use them all to go make an increasingly better meat. It's the meat of the future. It's the new age. New age meats. Wonderful. Exactly. Good. Good. You should make a name out of that or something. Yeah. I'll think about it. I have a lot going on. <laughs> See what I can do. Uh, one, one question that's uh, fun to ask is who, who's your sustainability hero or who, who's someone who inspired you to go into this on this journey? Um, I mean, even people in this industry, I think are really inspiring. I think Pat Brown of impossible foods is inspiring. Like I just, what he's done, uh, the, the tenured Stanford professor track that he was on, that was like smooth sailing till the end of his life. He's like, Nope, that's not it. Like, I, I want to go and make something. I want to truly change the world and make it a better place. And he has, I think impossible has done an amazing job. Um, and I'm inspired by what they've done. So there, there are a bunch of others in, in my space. I don't look too far. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. People. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your time. This was really awesome. I, I really enjoyed talking with you. I think the work you're doing is, is phenomenal and cannot wait to see what your future looks like, the one that you've described and with New Age Meats and, as well. I mean, I think it's going to be so cool. And for anyone who's interested in actually following you or, or looking it up mm -hmm. and, and seeing some of the videos and actually looking at the product, where can people go to check it out? Sure, yeah. So the website, newagemeats.com. Uh, we're all on all the socials. So on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera. Uh, we're probably most active on Twitter. Uh, so just go and follow. Like I, I will typically chime in there and tweet pretty often. So awesome. Yeah, cool. And uh, it's certainly worth taking a look for anyone who's, uh, who's interested because the product is, it looks exactly as you expect sausage to look. Yep. Tastes uh, like it too. Yeah, there you go. Um, I haven't had a chance to, to do that, so I can only see it, but like, there's nothing surprising about it, which is, in fact, in my opinion, surprising. Um, but yeah, Brian, I thank you again for your time. Really enjoyed it. Appreciate thank it. Thank you. I appreciate your time as well. It's fun. All right. Take care. Thank you very much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, give us a five-star rating. And also, please subscribe, whether on your podcast app or on YouTube. And that way, you can be the first to know about new episodes. Thank you very much and talk to you soon.